Thank you for listening to the Game Changers podcast. I'm your host, Joe Valentin, and we are recording from the beautiful city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. On this episode of the Game Changers podcast, we have 20-year-old pastor and author Michael Garcia. Michael comes to us from Washington Heights in New York City. Michael comes to share his experiences as a leader on how we can grow better in our personal lives as both Christians and professionals. Michael shares with us his stories and also how we as Christians hold on to our values. We hope you enjoy. Listen, you're asking me? Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. We started. All right. All right. How important is it to stick to you? You know what? I consider that um, it, it, it has so much to do with whom you are. And losing identity through life can, uh, I think, can really misdirect you in your purpose. I'll explain what it is. Sometimes we will stop being who we are to fit in to, um, let's say, the needs of somebody else. And we lose our principles. We lose our values. Because that's what it is. You, your character is composed by your principles. Your character is composed by your values. And you know what? I've, I've, I've given an example before. You can have a tree and you can cut down the tree to make it fit into the design of the table. And it can lose its essence and design, but it'll fit in to comfort your need. And sometimes that's what happens. We will give and compromise our values, our principles, our character to fit in into the need of somebody else. And the problem with it is there's no need. There's no tree in this life that has ever been cut down to fit into a different design and survived. So unfortunately, you can do it, but there's no way you'll survive. There's no way your destiny will survive. There's no way your spirit will survive. When you compromise who you are, it will cost you to lose yourself to fit in with somebody else's needs. And when you compromise those values, you are leaving up on you to fit in with somebody else, to fit in with another need, to fit in with something else. And, you know, it's not that necessarily it has to be bad because there's nothing bad about a table, but it's not what the tree is called for. So it doesn't mean you turn to something bad. It just means you turn to something you were not created for. So you lost purpose. You have function, but you lost purpose. And there's no point in uh, purposeless function. There isn't. You can be functional, not be called, not be anointed, not be favored because you lost your design. Now, as we said before, you can be an organized cemetery. You could be dead inside because you're living a life not according to your purpose. Meanwhile, you're still being functional. And sometimes that's what we do. So I consider the importance of sticking to our values has so much to do with not losing our identity. When you stick to what you know, to the principles you were taught, especially in the Lord, you're not giving up on you. And you should not have to give up, give up on God or on you to please somebody else. Because most times we do give up things, it's for other people. Notice that, that, that that's what it is. But I've never seen in my life a man say thank you to a tree for it becoming a table for it becoming a chair, for it becoming a door. So people will not recognize the sacrifice you made and they'll still let you die. So we have to understand, if God created you with this intention and he gave you the foundation and the core values to be whom you're meant to be in God, there should be nothing and no one worth enough to lose yourself and your values for. There should not be. That's my point of view on it. <laughs> when we think about compromise, when I think about the 21st century Christian. Yeah. We're in a, an age right now where we have to be politically correct. Mm -hmm. Or we're being forced to be politically correct. Yeah. 
How can you be a Christian and politically correct at the same time? You know, it's very hard to be because that has much to do with perspective. Uh, being politically correct has to do with perspective because whatever you consider to be correct doesn't necessarily mean what I consider yeah. to be correct. You know, and I mean, there's a sense to where we have a general morality and we understand that political co correctness is perhaps agreeing with certain things that the world has and is bringing now. But still, I believe that it has to do with perspective. So you never will fully be politically correct because if you go to a different culture, or you go to a different household, or you go to a different neighborhood, you'll see a whole different mentality, a whole different uh, language, a whole different culture, a whole different uh, uh, tolerance. Some, 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 some things that you'll tolerate here won't be tolerated a few miles away from where we are now. He, sincerely, the word says in the book of Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, so I spoke to you about perspective, and I'll, get, there and ba I'll back, get back there now. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, it is impossible to please man and please God at the same time. He said, if I were to please man, I would not be called a servant of God. So first thing is you'll never please everybody. And that's the, the, the false ideology with, with, with being politically correct. It's that it's meant to please everybody. It's meant to be, you know, what is um, in, in, in the community and fully correct by morality, what we all tolerate and accept. But we are in a very diverse world where there is no one mentality to stick to. And, you know... It's impossible to please everybody, but it's called for by God to you to please God. God will call you to please him, and that is our instruction. Can you be politically correct and be God and be Christian? First of all, I don't think you could ever be politically correct in any way. That's one thing I, I, I believe. I don't believe that is a, ever a possibility because of such a diversity of ideologies and perspectives. So it's even worse and even more difficult to ever be a Christian and please people. The idea that you can um, generally be liked or generally do what's right, it, it's, it's so wrong because I've learned that what, what feeds me can kill you. See what I'm saying? So what to you can be something that is good, to me can be something completely different. So there's a difference in, in, in what can be good to you and what can be good to me. That alone makes it very difficult to be generally politically correct. And especially when you have a truth so conflictive as the gospel of Jesus Christ, that confronts man's perspective. Everything about the gospel is contrary to what man can be complacent about. Everything about the gospel is unpleasant to man, to man's character, to man's flesh, to man's ideology. Because everything about the gospel is saying your nature is wrong. It, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. Your nature is wrong. So let you be reborn in my spirit because that which is of the flesh is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. But you cannot be saved until you are born again by water and by the spirit. So how can it ever be possible for the gospel to admit that your nature is wrong and then to consider yourself to be a Christian and be tolerant towards the nature we understand is not the nature we're called to live in, which is a sinful nature. Because that's what it is. Politically correct now means to be complacent to sin. It means to be blind to the wrong things to do. It means to uh, tolerate and accept that people be and live their lives as they please, please to live their lives, though you understand it is wrong and, and be okay with it. And that's what, what community has now become. That's what tolerance has now become. That's what peace has now become. Now peace is not to live within the truth. Peace is now to let you live a lie 
and let you die in your lie and me not do anything about it because I have to respect your values and I have to respect your ideologies and I believe the truth should be spoken. Is it possible to be a Christian and to be politically correct? No, it's not. I want to know, when was the first time you encountered the Holy Spirit and what did it feel like? Ooh, you know what? I might not have uh, uh, the memory of that, the recollection that, that, that I can go that back. Let's see what I can remember. Um, when I was four years old was when I was introduced to church, let's say it. And it was by um, an aunt of mine in the, the Dominican Republic. I'll, I'll give you kind of a little of backstory sure. so that we can understand it. Uh, I was born in an atheist home. My mother was a full atheist. It's contradicting, but my mother did not believe in God, yet she hated the God she did not believe existed. Mm. So that's very contradicting, but that's, that's her testimony. <laughs> and I was taken to the Dominican Republic because my mother was studying in college here and could not afford to take care of me at that time, nor did she have the time or, or perhaps the finances because of so many uh, expenses she had at the moment. So she sent me to the, the Dominican Republic to my father's family. And there I was with my aunt who was a Christian. I wasn't there for long. I was there for around four months. And I was four years old at the time. For four years I had been taught uh, the non-existence of God. I had been taught that money is God. I had been taught that finances and riches are the definition of, 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 uh, of our faith. And in four months, I will not tell you that I have the recollection of the feeding, but it's impossible to, to consider the evidence and not think that was God. Um, I do not recall feeling the Holy Spirit, but it's impossible to say um, that this was not God. When you think to say in four months, God did in my life what the enemy could not do in four years. And that was that though I was thought, taught atheism in four years, in four months, I had gotten a hunger for the Lord like I never got in my life. And to get a four-year-old to love the word, to love church, to love praise. I'm talking about I was singing the praises like if I was black and southern in the church. So when you get a four-year-old on fire for God, there has to be something more than just a basic church. So at that time, I got such a, uh, a, such a touch of God that when I came back to New York, um, I could do nothing but speak of what I had learned in the Dominican Republic. And I would anger my mother because I would speak of what I had heard in DR. So much so that for over a year and a half, I would get, she would take me in the shower, she would wet me, and then she would whip me for preaching the gospel to her. And she would say, it is prohibited to speak of God in this house or to mention his name. So it, this went on for years because there was something on the inside of me. And I don't know what, it, I'm, a, I'm a kid. So I, I don't know what it was, but I know it was in there. And for some odd reason, I could not stop speaking of that conviction in God that I had gotten in the Dominican Republic. So I will not tell you that I can recall that conviction, but that was the beginning to the journey that I am still on. That was the beginning to the calling that God has placed over me. That was the beginning to my life in Christ. So to consider that it was anything other than the Holy Spirit of God, it, it, it's, it's just absurd. So that is technically my first feeling of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> though I don't really recall much more to that. One of the things that many people admired you for is yeah. being 20 years old yeah. and just the maturity that you bring, glory be to God. The the the, the conviction that you bring, mm, glory be to God. Um, and what I would like to know is, who holds Michael accountable? Well, that's a great question. That's a great question. You know what? We believe in the function of order, and we believe in the function of authority, and we believe you cannot be in authority without having a authority. So. 
first of all, let's just say the word of God says uh, to reassure yourself to be presented unto God like an approved minister and an approved servant that has nothing to be ashamed of. The book of Timothy says that we should present ourselves uh, irreprensibles. Let's say that's the word in English, irrebukable, I, I would say. Um, so first thing we would have to know, if, if I claim, as I do, to know God, the first one to hold me accountable is the Holy Spirit of God. He's the first one to convict me of the wrongs that I do. And believe it or not, the second one is myself. I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else. And I am pretty hard on the people underneath me. Uh, one of them is with us right now, and he could say I'm not easy. I'm loving all the way, but I'd not accept mediocrity or less than what I know you can give me and what you can give God, because I believe the kingdom involves excellence and order. So the same way I'm hard on the demanding of what God is asking for and you know, being who God is looking for, I am that with myself. Um, but then you come to the question of you still need a, sp a natural authority because there are there are few people that do not um, have the integrity to perhaps hold themselves accountable at such a degree. So besides that, I am so grateful and so honored to have my spiritual father, Apostle Sao Sabino, and my spiritual mother, Kenya Sabino, whom have fathered me and mothered me for years since I was seven years six years old I've, I've been in their church and it's been what what it's been 14 years now that I've been there and uh, every step of the way correction rebuking edification uh, wisdom classes I, I would have to credit 80% or 85% perhaps a 90 of what I know to the Holy Spirit but there's a 10% um, why? Because I, I, I can't give anybody else but God the glory. But I have to say that that part that, that was not God, that part that was needed from a, 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 a father figure, a spiritual father, a, a Paul to a Timothy, was definitely my spiritual father, Sao Sabino. And besides that, leaders, leaders all around. The blessing to minister is not just to give, it's to be blessed everywhere you go. It's to encounter so many capable and experienced and knowledgeable and wise leaders that you develop a, a relationship with and later they, they are so loving in the family of Christ to then make sure that you are right in the Lord. And you know, one of the things that have allowed me to um, have these people is transparency, to be able to be transparent with people because when you keep your sin, it's impossible to correct it. It's impossible to get up from it. So being able to, being transparent with who I, I've been and what I've done um, brings me to that. And surprisingly, so many people, I'm so sorry, <laughs> surprisingly, not just the people above me, but also the people under me, um, my spiritual children, my right hands in ministry. Um, it, it's, it's so hard to find people with um, the courage to tell you, you know what, I love you so much that I have to tell you that's not right, you know. And there are people that would say, well, that's the pastor. We believe in order of correction and we believe in order of authority. There is a way to do it, but it's so good to find spiritual children that love you so much that they say, you know, you've taught me this before and I'm sure you still want to be saved. So let me teach it back to you and tell you this is not the right thing to do, you know, and, and I'm grateful for everybody around me that in, in, in one way or another holds me accountable to every word that I've said and everything that God has placed. You know, I heard you preach. And you talked about you talk about David and the place that he came from. Yes. You talked about that he comes from a place that nobody mm. wanted to be. Yes. In order to find that growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, 
I believe that growth happens in the most uncomfortable places. Yes, it does, all the way. Where was that uncomfortable place for you when you first wow. started? Well, let's let's express this. Just where were the fields, right? Cause yeah, el campo. El campo, right? <laughs> yeah, he yeah, yeah, yeah. He was mending those fields. Yeah. Um, he was doing work that nobody wanted to do, yeah. but he was still singing praises. Where was that place for you? You know what? Funny enough, you notice that David, Joseph, Jesus, and everybody had that field at home. Mm. Isn't that interesting? The place where you're meant to be sound, to be kept, to be safe, is the one place where sometimes become that field. And that has been and continues to be at times my field. It's, it's you know, family. And um, Christ said it himself. No one can be a prophet at your own home. Mm. And he said, when he, when he came back home, they said, isn't this the son of the carpenter, the brother and the, the, the daughter of Mary, the son of Mary? And that has been my field, to be part of a family that uh, did not have the Lord, did not believe in the Lord, was a field of discomfort because it, it took much of me to remain in the truth that I knew. Meanwhile, standing in a home that was completely opposing me and that would bully, torture, and do everything they possibly can to get me out of that truth. And, you know, beyond that, let's just place the discomfort of the fact that people doubt you. People don't push you. And it's not till they see the success. And when I speak about home, I'm not just speaking about my family. I'm speaking about my church. Because... Um, there were, I would have to testify that my apostle was a great man of God. But when he was calling me to be a minister and to be appointed and anointed a minister, the great majority of the pastors under him were opposing to that. And they were not in the vision God had carried. And my apostle dared to anoint me under the instruction of God, ignoring the criticism of man. And he said, you know what? It's not even something I want to do. It's something that God told me to do, and I'm not here to do my will. So when I have to tell you that it's been my home, let that be my town, let that be my city, let that be my community, let that be my family, let that be my church. My field has been my home. And it, it has much blessings to it as it can have a trial. But the difficulty of even having to be mature at a young age because you have a mother that... um suffered from depression, suffered from uh, a lack of, of mothership, suffered from um, suicidal spirits, from schizophrenia, and, and everything you could possibly think of that requires a pill. And me having to be mature enough to take care of her, uh, you know, having to be a father to your own mother, having to be a father to your own brother, and having to be a heater, having to be a head when you're just 14 years old, 13 years old, 12 years old, it's a big calling. And it molded me because it created in me the capacity to be who I was perhaps not yet meant to be because a child should not have to be a father to his own mother. But having to be it created me the ability not just to be it for my mother, but to be it to so many people that are spiritually fatherless and looking for a spiritual father, not, not the heavenly father, but a, spiritually f a spiritual father and a leader. And, you know, it built something in me. It built the compassion to care. It built the patience to love and the patience to teach. It built the tolerance to remain and to stay. I've taught so many times the power of staying. It, it, it built 
you know, the understanding of leadership and, and everything that I could have possibly acquired. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but true to say that my field was home. When I think about the young people that may listen to this, mm-hmm. how important is it to still stick to what Cod has called you to do despite that? Was there any op- was there any moments where you were bullied, made fun of while you were in school? Oh, certainly. Um, because it's it's so easy to get discouraged. Dis- yeah, discouraged. Discouraged. Yeah. Um, whenever you're trying to live what God has called you to do. Yeah. Talk about that for a second. You know, I've first of all, yes, very true, and it's hard, but I think that um, challenges enhance your ability. You know, I, I taught in one occasion in a preaching of mine. It's called um, uh, Multiply and Grow. That as Christ had the five loaves of bread and the two fishes and the audience of 5,000 men, it was as he broke them that their ability to serve was enhanced. They served more. They were more efficient. They were more effective the more they were broken. So long as they were whole, they were sufficient for a family of six. The minute they were broken, they were abundant for a family of 15,000. So to consider that, yes, it is hard and I had opposition, still gives me the ability to understand it is because it was hard that I became effective. It was because God allowed me to be broken. It was because God allowed me to survive that hell that now I have the ability to get people out of the same hell God got me out of. Because had I not been there, I would not know how to get other people out. And yes, I was bullied. I was spit on. I was attacked by gangs. I was uh, um, uh, made fun of. I was everything. I was the, 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 the el, el, el muchachito moletón, the one that fathered. And everything possible. But, but honestly, I would have to say, I don't know if it has to be with my perspective. I don't know if everybody would take it. I believe that you can take it and you can use it to get discouraged. But I believe that the very same thing you can use to discourage you is the very same thing you can use to enhance yourself. And it is you who decides. Because the truth is, is that the same hammer that builds a house also builds a tomb. You decide whether you want to die or you want to build. So, And this is in my book, so don't steal it. <laughs> so you decide. It's the same tools that build a home, that build a tomb. So you decide whether you let it discourage you to die or you let it edify you to build a home, a kingdom, an empire. So I'm not saying that it was not there. And I'm not even saying that the enemy did not provide the reasons and motives for me to get discouraged. I'm just, I'm just saying the Lord changed my vision to take the very thing that was sent to discourage me. And he said, let me work it for good. Let me work it for your good. Let me mature your spirit. Let me edify you. Let me build you. Let me provide within your wisdom that is not common. And, and, and I think that God just turned around the weapon and used it to build me. You mentioned the, the feeding of the 5,000. One of the things that I appreciate um, coming from a young person's perspective. Yeah. Um, it was a child who gave. Oh, yes, that it was. Bread, right? <laughs> it was a child who, yes. who came yes, 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 yes. to hear the word. Um, I remember I preached, uh, preached about that in a children's service. Uh, it was a child who gave what he had, mm-hmm. you know, and I spinned it off like, yeah, he gave his lunch. Mm-hmm. Nah. <laughs> yeah. 
You yeah. know, um, you're never too young to preach the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? You know what? What I'm most astonished by is that he was a child, but what I love most is that he was discredited. Mm. Because not only did he give his lunch, Joe, but the Bible says Peter looked at Christ and said, that ain't enough. So how hard is it to already feel incapable and try to give all you have and have someone greater than you say, that's good, but that's not enough. So to see that my all is insufficient and to understand that it is so true that my all is not sufficient, but in the hands of God, my little can become so much is a great ideology to me. I am young, and I've always said I could have, and I believe I do, lack so much experience. But I do not believe I lack the wisdom, not because of me, because what I have is insufficient. But I placed it in the hands of one that multiplied everything I could have given unto him. And they've told me, you haven't been here for much, for much time. But I said, but the God that I serve has been here before you, your father, your granddaddy, your granddaddy's granddaddy has ever been on this earth. So I understand that my offering, what I have to give, isn't enough. But I'm placing it in the hands of a God that can make it sufficient. And not just that. But no one knows what it took him to get that not enough. Because it's not any child that has enough to eat. The Bible does not say he had parents. I'm not even, no, I, I'm not even sure this guy or this kid was an orphan. When, who's to say that he had parents? Who's to say he had but they were not there and he had gone alone? Who's to say this kid was not working for this bread? Who's to say it did not take much of him to find it? And after it takes so much sacrifice to get the small you got, you look up to someone of authority in the church and they tell you it's not enough and then you give it on to God and he says, I know it's not much, but I, I, I'll take what you give me and I'll do everything I have to do. And funny to say, God is just asking for what's in your hand. It don't take more. It, it's not about being sufficient. It isn't in any way. It's about being humble enough to surrender what you have. Because the sufficiency part of it, God can <laughs> handle that. But the surrendering is up to you and me. You're an author? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Glory be to God. Talk about why you wrote this book. And what do you want people to get out of this book? You know, it wasn't planned for me to be an author in any way. It's funny to say it just sort of happened. We can say it, but God definitely did not say it. Just in God's mind, it just sort of happened. But um, I was uh, in the house of a, of a minister, a well-known minister, friend of mine. She's a tremendous international worshiper. And I was uh, in her house helping her out because at the time um, she was going through a difficult medical condition. I said, let me go over to your house. Let me help you out. Uh, her husband was there. Uh, her husband was actually the one going through the medical condition. It was not her, now that I recall best. And I was helping her out with him. 
uh, transporting him to places. He had just uh, lost, not lost, but he had just broken a foot. And I said, let me go. Let me help out. Let me do a few things. I have uh, some time on my agenda. And I'm free. And I know you're going to need some help. So let me go over to your house. And as I was there, uh, I encountered a, a minister of God who was an author. She's also another well-known minister that was helping uh, um, well, the ministers whom house I was in. Uh, I don't want to give names because I want to respect everybody. But um, I was there and uh, she said, the Lord put it in my spirit that you write a book. And I said, um, well, I've never written a book in my life. She said, well, the Lord said you're going to write a book about your testimony. And long before that, the Lord had been placing in my spirit to touch the area of calling. But I was not making so much a book. I was uh, trying to make it like a preaching series. Yeah. And that's what I was touching upon. And the Lord said, include it in your book. And in that moment, I, I would say that part of what is in my book, due to I thought it began as a series of preachings, and it became into a book. It's my testimony, or at least a, 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 a small part of my testimony. I've lived so much beyond that. And we have a second book coming now. The first one is Tu eres quien Dios llamó. It's only in Spanish. I've been criticized for that. <laughs> so many English speakers that want it as well. And we have the second one that's Creciendo a Causa de Quebrantos. It's on its way. It's growing through breakthroughs. And um, the first one touches so much on a great part of my testimony. And it touches based on the fact that I saw such a need and a demand for people to identify their calling in the church and in Christ. So many lost souls in a church. Not lost because they're lost of salvation, lost because they know not what they're called for. They are certainly saved and going to the kingdom, but what am I doing in the meanwhile? And they did not know what was the calling of the Lord for their lives during the time of their existence on this earth. And I saw a demand and a need. Remember we were speaking about the need earlier and about the relevance of considering people. I saw in overall in the youth a need. So many youth without identity imitating a Kanye West, a Kim Kardashian, a, a Jay-Z, because they don't know whom they are in the Lord. Looking for someone to look up to. Looking for someone to admire. Who can I imitate? Because I don't know who I am myself. So I, I have to become the copy of somebody else. And seeing that need created in me the desire to touch upon the calling. Randy, can I ask you a question? Ah. ah. Come here. Flip that mic over real quick. <laughs> Brother Randy here came with... Uh, Brother Michael um, from New York. Randy, how important is ministry to you? Ministry is everything to me. Right now, one thing I always say in my prayers, one thing I always tell God is, where would I be without you? He is my identity. He is everything. And my pastor, he's always taught me that ministry is kingdom. It's bringing the kingdom of God to other people. And to be honest, if it wasn't for ministry, I would not be alive today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Changers podcast. Psalm 71:18 says, Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Anything that we do, we must always have the next generation in mind. See you next time, and don't forget to share this podcast with someone.